Today in our, in our readings, we have what I call the preacher's dilemma, because I could talk a couple hours on both today's first reading and the gospel reading. And uh, I know you have probably other places to be, and I know I have someplace else I have to be. But once I get to see Niloy, I can preach as long as I want there. Not quite. But there's something beautiful about both of these readings, and, and uh, I encourage you to, to read them again when you have a little bit more time to ponder them. And, and I'll try to draw out, um, I think, the lesson the church is giving us by pairing these readings together, because they seem so apart, so separate, that they don't have a whole lot to do with each other. First, we have Elijah going to Mount Horeb. Horeb is the same mountain as Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses the law and the the people uh, worshipped as they were being led out of Egypt. Elijah has just, uh, those that know uh, 1 Kings well enough, Elijah uh, was a prophet, and he is the only prophet. And meanwhile, there's 500-plus prophets of Baal, this false god, and the king himself is taken to the worship of Baal, not the worship of the true god. He has some relationship with Elijah, but it's an antagonistic relationship, not one of listening or, or paying attention to what the Lord has to say through Elijah. Elijah is a prophet mighty, and he is instructed by God to test the people, to test where their hearts are. And so they set up a, a dare, basically. The prophets of Baal are told to slaughter an animal, but not to light it on, on fire and to offer sacrifice and let the God who is God prove himself. And after uh, hours of bloody mess, literally bloody messes, Elijah pulls the people aside and says, how long are you going to weary God? And he has them slaughter the sacrifice and put it on the altar and pour water and water and more water on it. And he says this very simple prayer, and fire from heaven comes down and laps up the water and takes the sacrifice. The prophets of Baal are put to death. This is a good way to make friends with the king you're ready and take a mystic with, of course. And so Elijah goes on the run. Elijah runs into the desert. And there he sits under a room tree and says, let me die. He's all alone. The king is after him. The people are going to be after him. And he feels abandoned. And the Lord sends an angel and feeds him. And and through the angel tells him, get up, eat, lest the journey be too long for you. And he journeys the rest of the way to Horeb and finds himself at this cave. And that might be a good enough story, except what is happening after this. We hear of how Elijah is given that promise that God is going to speak to him. And so when when the heavy winds come, he doesn't quite pay attention to it because God is not there. When the, when the earthquake comes, he doesn't pay attention to that because he realizes God is not there. When the fire comes, he basically ignores it. It's not that God is not God everywhere, but rather Elijah knew that that isn't where God was speaking. But when we have what's translated here as a tiny whispering sound, Elijah recognizes that is the voice of God. The tiny whispering sound in, in Hebrew, it's hard to, dis- hard to define. It's really almost a sound of littleness. Almost so little that it's almost nothing. 
this tiny quiet, in the midst of all the chaos, that's where Elijah speaks to God. So he hides his face because no one can look to God on God face to face. God asks him, why are you here? And he says, I am alone of all the prophets of, of Israel. I'm the, I'm the only one. The king has abandoned you. And God tells him, go back and anoint a new king. A king who will be faithful. Go back and anoint a new prophet, a prophet to succeed you. He's not alone. But if he hadn't listened for that still, quiet voice, that sound of nothingness, that peace in the midst of all that was going on in his life, he would have completely missed it. And I think that's a similar point to today's gospel passage. We have the apostles sent on their way across the Sea of Galilee. First, I should do a little, uh, I love to debunk myths. There's one that says, well, Jesus really wasn't walking in the water. Rather, he was walking on a sheet of ice. And there is a, is a meteorological process that can happen in the Sea of Galilee because of being in the valley that it is. And when it gets especially cold, uh, as it sometimes can get, when it's especially calm, the sea can freeze over rather quickly. Do you see a problem in this? It wasn't calm that night. The, the disciples were afraid. They were being tossed about by the waves. This is not calm. The conditions were not present. If it would have been that cold, they wouldn't have been out on the sea anyway. They would have waited until morning to be out in the sea, in the cold, in the waves, in the dark. That's too much. To be out in the waves in the cold in the night, that might have been okay. And they see this figure coming toward them, and they're they're terrified. It's far enough that they can't quite make out who it is, but close enough that they know there's something there. Jesus says, Take courage. They have everything to be afraid of. Of Peter speaking for the disciples, perhaps, say, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. He must have been, Jesus must have been just far enough that he could see that it maybe was him, but not quite. And so when Jesus says, come, Peter does something that I think few of us would do. I know I wouldn't do. I can't swim. The only thing worse and harder than that first step out of the boat is the second step. And Peter takes both of those steps, and perhaps a few more. I can't imagine him taking more than, uh, than, uh, less than the, those two steps. Because again, Jesus was far enough that he couldn't quite make him out, that he needed Jesus to say, yet it is I, come to me. And Peter begins to falter. Instead of focusing on Jesus, instead of focusing on his voice, Instead of focusing on the call that Jesus had given him, his focus becomes on the strong strength of the wind, how high the waves were, and he begins to drown. He begins to sink, but the Lord is right there. What the authors do not tell us, Matthew is the only one who records this, uh, what he does not tell us is what happened afterward. They were already maybe a few yards away from the boat when Peter started to sink. 
what happened afterward. I, in my own prayer, I cannot imagine anything other than Jesus taking Peter by the hand and saying, Oh, Peter, you were doing so well. You were walking on the water. You were walking towards me, and you were doing so well when your focus was on me, but you took your focus off of me, and what happened? You began to focus on the wind and the waves. You began to focus on everything else other than me. And it was only then that you began to drown. And I can't help but imagine the apostles just watching Peter and Jesus walking around the boat, taking a lovely stroll on a windy night on the sea. Why? Because Jesus knew where his focus needed to be on the mission, on God the Father's plan. And Peter began to focus totally on Christ, realizing that's where his focus needed to be, too. What do these readings tell us? Well, they tell us plenty, right? We turn on the news and we get all sorts of things that terrify us. We hear of riots, viruses. This year, among any other, it's been so funny. It's one thing after another. If, if the virus doesn't get us a murder hornets are going to, right? If that doesn't get us, then the coin shortage is going to get us. And then the riots, and then this, and then that. If that's where our focus is going to be, we're going to drown. In fact, I think more and more as a society, this is exactly where we are, is drowning. It's not that it's not real. It's not that it's not terrifying. It's not that we don't, don't have to worry at all whatsoever about it. But if our focus is first on Jesus Christ, we'll be able to walk even on the water because we're walking with Jesus Christ who takes us by the hand and tells us the same thing. Perhaps it's, oh, you of little faith. But I think more importantly, it's take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid.